if anything happens during the service, uh, maybe uh, something's said and it touches you, it challenges you, or maybe it just causes you to you know, be convicted of something, we have a little prayer team that should be down, hopefully be down the front afterwards. And then if you want to pray with them, uh, somebody will pray with you. Um, but if, something, if God really speaks to you this morning, don't go home um, and leave it in the air. Come and pray with someone and let God speak into the situation you might face, um, good or bad. And um, that's what church is for. So I'm really invite you to do that afterwards. Should we pray as we come and look at God's word together? Father God, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being your people, for the opportunity to come here and just worship you. And Father, we come from all different situations, and you know every single one of us, Lord. You know um, what sort of heart we bring into this place this morning. And Lord, you love each one of us. And Father God, you're, you're our firm foundation in times of trouble. You're the one that we go to when we rejoice. And Lord, we pray that this morning, that the words that are said, Lord, um, we'll all hear what we need to hear, Father God, that there will be words honoring to you. And that your spirit will work in each one of our hearts. We ask that, Lord. We ask that you'll be amongst your people present here in a really powerful way, Father God. Moving amongst us, making us more like your son, Jesus. Healing and blessing and challenging. And that you would work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. There was a little boy at church. And uh, he was bored, as you know. Sometimes kids get bored at church. Adults never. No one corrected me there. That's good. No one disagreed, I should say. That's quite good. Um, and he did what you do when you're normally bored at church. He counted the tiles on the ceiling. He wondered how many sets of glasses he could see. He was having his own sort of game of guess who, I guess. Who? Um, hang on. Drop my prayer list. And, uh, and he looked around and he was wondering. He looked at the banners, he looked at the speakers, looked at the light fittings. And he came across a strange list of names and a nice sort of wooden plaque on the wall. And they had the dates 1914 to 1918 amongst one, amongst, uh, above one group of names. And underneath, a second group of names, 1939 to 1945. And he thought, oh, I wonder what this list of names can mean. And he thought long and hard, and he eventually got the courage to whisper to his dad next to him, Dad, who are these people on the war? And what are their names? Who are they? And the dad said, Shush. And then he said, these are the people that died in service. And the boy thought to himself, and he said to his dad, which service did they die in, the morning service or the evening service? <laughs> Hang on, why did I tell that joke? That's sort of semi-insulting, isn't it, anyway? But, um, but church is a funny old thing, isn't it? We all come for different reasons. Uh, when we're younger, we, we hope it's going to keep up with uh, some of the, the more exciting, flashy stuff the world's doing, and we do our best, and we should always try our best, of course. Um, but what is church? Church is a strange old organization, isn't it? I wonder if you've ever tried to describe church to your non-Christian friends. Perhaps even your Christian friends, you may find you come at it from different perspectives. When you go to work Monday morning, those of you that work or you hang out with your friends or you go to do something else, you know at some point some of you are going to hear the dreaded question that a lot of Christians dread on Monday morning. What did you do at the weekend? And you say, well, Friday... I went out and I was with my friends, and that was nice. I went to bed about half eleven. You drag, I drag out Friday as long as you can. Saturday, I got about ten. Then you sort of go as long as you hope they get bored. And then you sort of go, <laughs> anyway, I'm here this morning. And they go, well, what about Sunday? Oh, I went to church. And then one of a variety of reactions happened. Normally, one of um, shock. I didn't think you were like that. Uh, I didn't think you were one of them. Uh, is often the, uh, the sort of polite insult. Um, but I wonder when someone says to you, well, what is, what's the point of going? What, are, what do they do at church? What is church? I wonder how you might describe it. 
That's quite hard. Have you ever tried to describe what we do as church and what the purpose of our church is on the church with a big C? I wonder if you've ever tried to... What sort of words did you use? How, what sort of phrases did come to mind? Did you describe the ministries we run? Did you sort of talk about things like make lunch or our connect groups? Or did you talk about Sunday morning? How did you describe the purpose of church? Because it's quite hard, isn't it? Because on the one hand, there's a lot of things that we're not, but we kind of are at the same time. So we're not a social club. Um, we're a church, we're a family, but at the same time, we do share lives with each other. And what the most wonderful thing about being a Christian, and I love about being a member of this church and all the churches I've been a member at, is I have good friends who are younger than me, in their 20s, in their 30s, in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 80s, people who I consider to be my good friends. And it's wonderful, I love that about the Christian community. So we're not a social club, but yet we do socialise with each other sometimes. We're not a school You've not come here to uh, write on the, on the, on the uh, whiteboard behind me, but we do teach, we do learn, we do share, we do instruct and help each other along the way. We're not a pressure group, um, but we do speak out occasionally, and we should do it a bit more, against injustice and things that are wrong in society. The church is supposed to be a bit of a conscience to its culture and its society, and sometimes we're not very good at that. And we need to get back to being better at that, saying to the governments and councils, Oi, this is wrong. Don't do that. This universal credit rollout, the church should be shouting at the top of its voice, how dare you take so long to give people the basics for life? How dare you? That is ungodly and it is wrong and we're going to hold you to account as Christians. There's a lot of us in this country. We could be quite loud if we wanted to. We're not a counselling centre, yet we do help and support people through hard times. We're not the social services, yet we do give people practical support. And in a world where our child centres, our children's centres are slowly closing, where basic social services are having their funding withdrawn almost daily, the church is going to need to step back into what it used to do, which is stepping out and helping people who are most vulnerable. We're not a business, but we do have structures. It's all very exciting. And we're not an army. However, we do fight. And that's what we're thinking about, actually, in these three weeks. The idea of fighting, but not fighting the way the world fights, but fighting spiritual battles, fighting darkness in our world. Our world is often a very dark place. People are often in a very dark place. Societies, towns and cities can have very dark areas, even physically. You can think, don't go there, that's a dark part of town. Mustn't go there, dodgy. There's that great uh, Lion King quote. What's that shadowy place, Father? And then people insult, uh, insert their, their least favourite town. Don't go there. That's that place. But um, I won't do that, obviously. But there are dark places, emotionally, spiritually, but also practically. The last two weeks we've been thinking about spiritual warfare. And if you've never heard the term before, you may be thinking, what on earth are you going to be talking about for the next few minutes? Well, um, the church isn't just dealing with the physical we're dealing with the spiritual as well and as christians we're not just here to be a nice community of people who are quite decent we're here to make a difference in people's lives to actually fight darkness where we see it and make a difference in people's lives like the first week we spoke about the reality of spiritual warfare the reality that there is a dark side there are evil forces that get into people's lives there is a devil who whispers doubts and temptations to us Last week, we spoke about our individual role in that fighting, that spiritual warfare, how we are to fight against it wherever we see it, in our towns, in our cities, in our workplaces. Yesterday, I read a quote by A.W. Tozer. Some of you will know who he is, a brilliant guy. He liked, I discovered yesterday he likes to be called Tozer, 
which I think is cool. Um, it's quite old. It's from, a, it's from a good few years ago. Just refer to me as Hanson from now on, by the way. Forget the G. Just Hanson um, from now on. Um, but this is what he wrote in his book, um, Knowledge of the Holy, I think it's called. Take the easy yoke of Christ and spend yourselves in spirit-inspired toil for the honor of God and the good of mankind. I thought, what a great quote that is. Take the easy yoke of Christ and spend yourselves, wear yourself out in spirit-inspired toil for the honor of God and the good of mankind. Isn't that our fighting talk? That's where we fight. We're supposed to be spending ourselves on behalf of those who struggle. And so this morning I want to think about the role of the church as a community in that spiritual battle, in that battle against darkness of people's hearts and minds and their very soul, the purpose of the church. And the first verse we're going to look at is Matthew chapter 5 verse 14. Matthew chapter 5 verse 14 is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, those three chapters where Jesus describes the ethics of God's coming kingdom. If you want to know what kind of Christian you should be, meditate, think, ponder, apply the three chapters from Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And in verse 14 of chapter 5, Jesus says, you, as in plural, all of you, are the light of the world. Wow. You You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Our church is kind of on a hill. Yet once I had a conversation with a man who swore blind I was wrong, that there was no church here. He said to me, I said, you know, big church big sort of square thing with a big spire that doesn't do anything, it's just there for decoration. Nope. He's got the notices outside, no. A little brick walls and tree, no, 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 no church there. Mate. You know the Indian? Yeah. You know the bathroom shop? Yeah. You know the little cottages over there? Yep. Right in the middle. Nope. <laughs> but isn't it sad that people would not know where the church is? We're supposed to be a city on a hill, a light for the world. So often the church isn't. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, I... Uh, I was very romantic towards Andrew, and I took her to a concert at the O2. And, uh, and it was uh, Shania. I, I'm just going to tell a story because it's not often I get to pat myself on the back. But um, our first dance at our wedding was uh, You're Still the One by Shania Twain. And uh, 20 years in, uh, I took Andrew to see her at the O2. Fortunately, she played the song. <laughs> that would have been a waste of uh, money. Anyway, but she asked us all to hold up our mobile phones and turn the lights on. I don't know if you've ever done it, um, but I hadn't actually done it before in somewhere so big, and I thought, there's no way it's going to make any difference. But the most amazing thing was, is one by one, people, this isn't actually what the concert we're at, um, but one by one, as people's mobile phones came on, I don't know how many they see in the O2, and then 20,000 or something, actually lit the whole place up. It was light. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Can you all put mobile? It's not, dark, it's not dark enough, that's the problem. <laughs> Brilliant. That's made me feel like a rock star. <laughs> or a middle-aged, reformed rock star. From the, anyway. Um, but, and what it really struck me was that's what the church is supposed to be, isn't it? Individually, last week, we talked about shining our light. But actually, when we're together, there's a different aspect to it. We all, together, as a community of Christians, shine our light before men and women with the gospel, with the good news, with the hope of Christ's death and resurrection. Actually, we are brighter than anything else that people will come across. And in terms of spiritual warfare, the word we should be thinking about is that we are powerful. The church is powerful. We are the ones who have the light of life. We're the called out ones, as James just said. And together, when we work together for the good of the community, we are a light to the nations, a light 
to the world. Wayne Grudem, who is a, a, a systematic the- theologian, um, there's not many of those uh, around, you don't bump into them too often, but he's a systematic theologian. If you've got, um, Wayne Grudem has written a book called Systematic Theology, anyone got it? Good, me and Dean. that's excellent, it's about that thick, um, but it's awesome, and uh, if you really want to understand your faith doctrinally, buy it. Um, he's done a DVD series, so uh, if the book's a bit heavy, you can just watch the DVDs. He says the same things in it, and it's a bit easier to remember, perhaps. But he's, uh, two quotes I came across this week about this idea of the power of the church against the dark forces of this world. And the first one appeared behind me. He says this, of the church's power, that it is God-given to carry on spiritual warfare. In other words, to fight the darkness of society and in our souls and our hearts. Its power is to proclaim the gospel, and then he says, and exercise church discipline. You may think, it's a bit heavy, isn't it? But we're there to fight against the darkness that we see in our towns and cities in our world. That's our power. Our power is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ because people desperately need to hear it. We're now living in a post-Christian world and it is not working. The lives people live aren't working because there's no rock to stand on anymore. And we know who is the ultimate rock, the cornerstone that God is going to build his church on Jesus Christ. And finally, church discipline. And the reason he mentions that as a power of the church is that if the church is disunified, is it, if it fights against itself, then its power is greatly diminished. And the church has authority to discipline itself when there is backbiting or gossip or infighting that causes division that affects the preaching of the gospel. Another quote from Wayne Grudem, he said of the church's work, that what we do, unlike worldly influence by armies and governments, directly affects the spiritual realm. How wonderful it is to know that as a Christian, when I step out and serve my God, I don't just make a practical difference, but I affect something spiritual in people's lives and in the world around me. Um, you may have watched the, uh, the documentary on Christians Against Poverty. Can watch it? A few of you may have watched it. I think a few weeks ago it was on, on BBC, they did an interview with John Kirkby and, and co, and they talked about Christians Against Poverty and the good that they do in society, and they really are a wonderful organisation. And I came across a quote this morning which I'd like to read to you about Christians Against Poverty. It says this, Research by the London School of Economics has found the debt charity Christians Against Poverty contributes £32 million to the UK economy. The university discovered that for every pound the Christian debt charity spent, it benefited the wider society four times as much. Isn't that incredible? The London School of Economics also said that CAP, Christians Against Poverty, provides crucial face-to-face support and goes far beyond simple debt advice. Christians Against Poverty was founded by John Kirkby in Bradford in 1996. He believed God was calling him to sacrifice his career in finance and use his knowledge of the industry to help the poor. His faith adventure led him to people crippled by debt, such as parents who couldn't feed their children or families facing eviction. He used his expertise to negotiate with creditors, set up budgeting systems and offer a lifeline to those trapped in debt. And now CAP has grown to 645 projects with churches across the UK, including job clubs, training in life skills, as well as debt advice. And the reason I tell you that is this man served his God and he is making a practical difference, but he's making a spiritual difference as well. Because what they won't tell you is the volumes of people that have found Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. Forgiveness, purpose, hope, because of this man's work. There's a lot of debt in Sawbridgeworth. 
by the way. So this power that we have as a church, where does it come from? What makes us different to any other organization? In Matthew 16, verses 17 to 20, uh, this is what we read. Uh, Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? Simon Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then the quote finishes with him sending them away. So it wasn't quite his time for everyone to know who he was. But what a great thing. Our power comes because we are based on the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Matthew 18, verse 20. Again, Jesus says uh, this familiar verse. Well, it's verse 19, sorry. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. That's power, isn't it? If Christians get together and agree and we pray and we work together, God moves. Then he says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, for there there I am with them. Our power, our importance, our influence doesn't come because we're a really good organization with lots of good goals and structures in place and lots of charisma between us. No, it comes because we're based on Christ as our only Lord and Savior, the rock, and because he dwells amongst us. This morning, Jesus Christ is here by the power of his Holy Spirit. He dwells amongst his people whenever they meet together. He is with us this morning. And that should radically change how you approach Sunday mornings or your connect group or your prayer triplet or whatever else you do or where you serve during the week because when you're with other Christians, Jesus Christ is with you. And that is the most amazing thought, isn't it? Jared Cooper, who's written quite a lot of worship songs, um, has written another book. Jane was telling us at our leadership prayer time on Monday. Uh, because Christians often have um, a phrase they like to use, that the church isn't a museum of saints, to mean that when you come in, we're not all the polished, finished article, or not all of us anyway, and uh, we're not sort of a museum of how, how best to do it, because we're all pretty speckle, spe- speckle, special. Um, but the, the phrase goes, not, church is not a museum of saints, but a hospital for sinners. And actually, out of the two, we're, we're actually a collection of broken people. All of us have got our stuff going on. All of us have got our pain. All of us have got our mistakes and guilt. But Jared Cooper, in his book, he's arguing that whilst that's a nice little phrase, actually it's not quite correct. And that we should start seeing the church not as a hospital, but an army. An army that fights against the darkness in its towns and cities. I want to play you a very short video which is about a man who was at the lowest ebb of his life who found Jesus Christ and now fights darkness in prison. Anybody can share the word of God. Anybody can share their own testimony. So that's why it's important for us to raise up the locals. The idea is they know the culture and they know the people and they know the struggles. They're the ones who understand. They're the ones who will be listened to and heard. I was an addict since I was 15. I was doing, uh, selling drugs, and I was an addict for 30 years. I thought money was my happiness, you know, my, it was gonna fill my emptiness. The more money I used to make, more drugs, more, you know, a lot of bad stuff. I became a trafficker of illegal alien. 
people. I still traffic Peruvian people from Ecuador to United States. And I got sent to prison. After that, I came to Granada. I saw Mario. I met him in prison. He told me, like, hey, you want to translate for a team? They're Christian. But I didn't want nothing to do, you know, with the Lord. He told me, you know what, like, they're going to pay you, man, for translating. I thought, you know what, I'm going to use the money to make some crack. It was seven girls from all over, different part of the United States. They were about 15 to 17. They were so young. All of them got their money, like, to make the trip. They were with AIM, and they shared with me the gospel. And they shared with me, with my family. And they were like, well, you know, like, give God a try. But I, I didn't believe there was a God because I thought I was going to die as a crack addict. I even had thoughts of killing myself. So I thought I, I could never be forgiven. That group of girls, they changed my life. From that moment, June 2011, I've been sharing the word. Often we forget about the people in jail, the people in the hospital, the sick people, the older people. And the reason that I'm here now is to show these people what God can do. We have seen nothing more powerful than a guy like Jesse sharing his testimony to 30 youth. He knows where they are. They can relate to him because that's where he was. I would like to tell all those people that they come and share from different countries, keep doing it. Because the word of the Lord never leaves empty and you're going to change somebody's life. And that's a big miracle. And that kind of story happens all the time. When God's people step out in faith, when God's people actually cross the line where we're less comfortable uh, and more living on the edge, living in, in faith and trusting in God. When we step out and share our faith, when we step out and attack that darkness that is everywhere, you see lives changed. You don't see lives changed when you don't step out. You only see them when you do step out. The church is built for stepping out. And if you go through the New Testament, you'll see that actually what the New Testament church did very quickly was step out, spent hardly any time indoors. It was out in its towns and cities, knocking on people's doors, desperately trying to tell them of Jesus Christ and the hope that his death and resurrection has brought. But more than that, they would actually fight the demonic, the darkness. In Acts chapter 13, verses 8 to 12, and 16, verses 16 to 18, there are two stories of how Paul the Apostle literally turned around and fought darkness head-on in the name of Jesus, commanding the demonic to stop. And that's the kind of thing that we have the power to do as Christians. Spiritual warfare is Satan's attempt of stopping people being like Christ and finding him. And we must fight that darkness wherever we see it. We must be a people of prayer. We must be people who believe that when we pray for something, God is going to move. Even if the outcome isn't what we expect. We must be a people who believe that God will fight when we ask him to. That God will go ahead of us before we even get there. We must be a people that are on our knees begging God to fight the darkness. This week, Leah um, hasn't been executed. And we rejoice. But, not yet. Because that's good. But Boko Haram have said that she will be a lifelong slave. Are we going to stop praying because she's not died? Are we going to pray more? We're going to pray until that girl is released. And if we're going to pray for that girl, we're going to pray for other girls and men and women that we know in a local area who are just as trapped as she is, but in different things. Are we going to be a people that pray people out of the gates of hell?
because it doesn't stand against God's church. We have a prayer meeting on Thursday evening. We've sort of titled it Prayer for the Broken, but it's really prayer for any situation that's going on. We've been praying for people that are going through medical issues, but it's not just that. Uh, and look out for the times they're changing a bit at the moment um, because of logistics, but try and come. Try and come believing that when you pray for those people, lift their name up before God, God will move. When we don't pray, nothing happens, and that's for certain. Sidlow Baxter, I'm sure you all know him, uh, who was a, a Christian a theologian and pastor who died in 1999, made this famous quote, which some of you may well have heard. He said, men may spurn our appeals, reject our message, oppose our arguments, despise our persons, but they are helpless against our prayers. Why do you think the devil works so hard to stop us praying? He loves busy Christians. I like busy Christians as well, because it means the church carries on. But he loves busy Christians who don't pray. Jesus loves busy Christians who do, because they're the ones he can work with. So what does the church do? What does this power, this authority that we're talking about, where do we use it? Where do we wield this power? 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Paul just makes the most wonderful description of the church. Um, He says, although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing to you with these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. What an awesome phrase that is, a pillar and foundation of the truth. We live in a world where truth has become relative. That's why everyone's so miserable, because no one knows what's right or wrong anymore. And what's wrong for you might be right for me. Your truth's your truth. Who am I to tell you that it's not right? People no longer believe in absolute truth. There's that famous quote, isn't there, where someone said at uh, a lecture, I don't believe in absolute truth. And he said, do you really believe that, the lecturer? She said, absolutely. <laughs> That's what makes me smile. But the church, we have a, the commands of God, the truths of God, the Sermon on the Mount transcends time. Outlast cultures and movements, outlast fads and phases. Because actually the truths of God never change. God doesn't change yesterday, today, or tomorrow. He is the same always. And so the truth, we are meant to speak the truths of this book into people's lives. When people talk about what the point of it all is, or what they do with their money, or what they do with their time, or purpose, or identity, we should be saying, can I show you Genesis chapter 1 and 2? This is who you really are. Or can I take you to that verse? Because that's what you really should be doing. We're meant to be speaking the truths of God's word into our culture so people actually have a truth that is a pillar that is unmovable. Our power and authority, um, Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, is about a place to belong. I love this description of the church. It's here, here, as in the church, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, uh, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. He says you're a chosen people. In the church, in God's community, is a place where every person can belong. Somebody once said to me as I was writing my sermon uh, locally, well, you have all these different men and women's groups. Why don't you have a group for this group and that group and that group? And I said, we do have a group for all those people. He said, what day is it? I said, Sunday. Because everyone can belong in this church long before they believe, long before they even conform or, or act differently. People are allowed to belong in this church. Christ loves us just where we are. And then he loves us too much to let us stay like it. But we have a place where people belong. People long to belong. And people try everywhere. And they often find nothing when they get there. Um, 
the church's power is also in things like healing. We don't talk about healing enough, do we, as a, a modern-day Christian? And I don't for the life of me know why, because the Bible is very clear that when we pray, God will answer. James chapter 5, verse 14, unless I've misunderstood it, which I don't think I have after 29 years. It says, that any one of you, any, anyone among you in trouble, let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Hallelujah. Is anyone among you ill? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well and the Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. But the prayer of a righteous person has great power, we read. We're supposed to be a people that pray for healing and pray for spiritual healing, but physical healing as well. I have anointed people with oil in this church and God has answered those prayers. And it's been the most wonderful experience. And some of you are sitting here this morning and you know. We're to be a people, a place of healing for people. Not just physical, but also psychological or emotional as well. And I urge you to come forward and pray with someone at the end. And ask God to heal. We're to be a place that declares the truths of God. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. Hang on. This is where my bits of paper fall out and... I can take a breather. Um, Chapter 3, verse 10 of Ephesians. Paul again writes this. He says, His intent, that's God, was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Our job is to declare to the dark spiritual forces that Christ is king and he will reign. His kingdom will come and it will have no end. There is hope that goes beyond the grave. And I just think as Christians, if you're a Christian this morning, maybe even if you're not a Christian, we need to reorientate our perception of what church is actually for. We should see our regular activities not as a burden to get done, but as weapons to fight against darkness. That when we pray, that is a weapon to fight against darkness. Our worship is, our Bible reading is, our faith is, our righteous conduct. Every time you resist the urge to tell another Christian what you think of them, you're doing something righteous. And that's good, and that is a spiritual weapon in this war. And we're even allowed to rebuke evil in the name of Jesus Christ, but more of that next week. And when the church stands in Christ's power, darkness trembles, the devil flees. And I think sometimes the church is guilty of fighting the wrong battles when it should be fighting the dark ones outside. In the last 200 years, the church in the West has navel-gazed biblical proportions. Get the irony. And now we barely influence ourselves when we're supposed to be changing the world. We need a new understanding of our work, why we do it, so that we hear cheering in heaven and trembling in hell. I've got a book. Don't be surprised, I've got quite a lot of them. I've even read some of them. Um, this is a book called Angels on the Walls. Uh, anyone read it? I like doing this each week. It makes me feel quite clever because you've never read them. Anyway, um, this is a story of Wallace and Mary Brown. Now, Wallace and Mary Brown, he became a vicar in the Church of England and, uh, and God called him and his wife uh, to a dodgy part of Birmingham. And uh, there were a particular part of Birmingham, a town in Birmingham where there were three council estates all sort of converged and his church was pretty much in the centre of it. And when they got there, the church was covered in barbed wire um, grates on all the windows, a big wall round it, no one was allowed in, it was all chained up. And they thought, this is ridiculous. So they took all that down and they opened the doors. And guess what happened? The church was smashed up every single week. 
He spent all his time repairing windows and repairing doors, and they kept smashing the church up. The town was an absolute mess. There was darkness everywhere. And do you know what him and his wife did? They prayed. They did other things as well, but they prayed, walked around their town. They walked around their church that God would protect it and prayed and prayed and prayed. He had a vision of angels on the walls, hence the title of the book. Um, and the, like, people stopped smashing up his church. And then people started coming to his church. And then people started wanting to know who Jesus Christ was. Lives were transformed. The town began to change because they went out and they became a man and woman of great prayer. Should we walk around our town and pray a bit more for it? Perhaps God's just waiting to stick angels in different places for us. But maybe he's waiting first for us to get up and go out and serve him in that way. And so that is what the church is, a powerful organization, a powerful community that can change the world just by declaring Christ crucified and showing his love. But let me end with another thought, because it's exciting, isn't it? Just me? I like a bit of fighting talk, to be honest, because I'm 40 and life goes so quick. And it frightens me that um, I may one day think, what did I do for anybody? What difference did I make, Lord? And, and I like a bit of fighting talk because people's lives are broken. I want to make a difference before it's too late. And I know it's too late because we have fought the wrong battle for so long as Christians. I know people's lives have been broken and lost and we probably could have been there to stop it. And that's heartbreaking. And I apologize on behalf of the church for that, for the times we didn't do it when we should have done it. But let me end with a final thought because all this talk about spiritual warfare and going out and standing against darkness is all very inspiring, isn't it? Last week was all very inspiring. Come on! But do you think the devil will go quietly? No. Let me tell you what the devil will do. He will oppose us up front to our face. When we um, go forward with our building plan that we're doing, I guarantee you he will make it hard work. Pray for our building team. Pray for our funding team. Pray for the members of this church as they chew it over and pray it over. The devil will say, well, you can't do that and you can't do that. And he will throw bureaucracy at us. Of course he will. He will try and frustrate our ministries to our face. But the thing he will really do, and this is what you should be really careful of as church, is he will sneak in when we step up. And he won't oppose us as directly after a while. It will go quiet and we'll think it's going very well. But what he will say, he'll whisper to you, didn't that person go on your nerves? Why are they wearing that again? And you know, they never said sorry for that thing they did three years ago. And I don't like the way I do that. And before you know it, that little whisper gets a little bit louder, a little bit louder, a little bit louder, until here come the community of Christ into this room, divided at every heart. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 25, the writer says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Christ will return. What state will he find his church in? Active and outreaching. Or inside and infighting. Watch out. We made a big decision a few months ago as a church to begin the process of redeveloping our site. Don't think for a second that that's just a building project. That's a big statement of intent that this church is going nowhere. Souls will be saved, that darkness will be pushed back, and I tell you, the devil won't like it. And the devil will do his level best for all of us to get on each other's nerves until we lose the fight for the fight. Think about that. Pray about that. 
Love one another more than you ever have done before, even if it hurts, even if you don't mean it. (laughs) Do it until you do. Let's pray. Father God, we lift up, Lord, these thoughts to you this morning. And Father, it's a very unique topic to be talking about. And Lord, maybe, um, maybe some here it's a new topic they've never even thought about. But Lord, the message is clear that there is darkness in this world and there is an overcomer, there is a victor, there is a conqueror of that. His name is Jesus. And Lord, maybe even in this room this morning there are people that need a touch of God in a fresh, powerful way, Lord. Maybe things have gone wrong, maybe things are painful. Maybe there's a sense of loneliness and isolation. And Lord, maybe there's a sense of a, a shadow hanging over our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would work this morning, Father, even if it doesn't make sense what you're doing. Move in all of our hearts, we pray. May this church always shine bright and let our light never be dim, I pray. And I ask it in Jesus' name for the sake of the people. Amen.